Hey everyone, welcome to Hardcore Football. A passionate look at the world's game. Nope, that's I fuck that up every fucking time. I try to do it, it I wander out into it. <laughs> and well, I, we're a little out of form. So. Whatever, yeah. <laughs> I'm doing it again. Hey everyone, it's Hardcore Football, an intense look at the world's game by two passionate Americans. I'm your host, Phil Baki, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mika Burrell. Mika, how we doing? Doing great, man. How are you doing? Good. I mean, how how are you? This is like, this is a moment for, for a Betis follower. I mean, a trophy. Diving right in. Copa del Rey. Oh, I don't even uh, like we're we're not diving right in, but I mean that is like I feel oh, like yeah. that is was a big impact on your on your weekend. It was, it was great, great day to be a Betis sympathizer, a Betico or a Betica, as it were. Um, <laughs> yeah, great game, great for the neutrals too. Commiserations to the Valencia fans because man, they go through it don't they but they ju- they did win one like pretty recently so it's Betis's turn but yeah you had a good weekend too though Liverpool smashing Everton yeah yeah it was I mean uh, it was it was it was on edge for like that first half but y'all got it done at the end yeah they did the hard yards uh but I mean this is a type of this is a type of thing that is totally a banana peel for previous title contenders so I uh you know derby match they're facing relegation potentially, so everything to fight for. Um, so yeah, good to get that one over the line. But um, well, I guess I guess before we dive too too deep into everything, we'll just do some quick admin. Uh, nothing too crazy these days. But um, if you're finding hardcore football for the first time, uh, you can find us on any of the major podcast platforms that you use to listen to. Um, so get subscribed followed whatever it allows and uh if you enjoy the podcast uh think about leaving us a rating or a review um because it does help more people see the podcast and uh and you can also find us on social media uh we're on instagram and twitter at hxc football um so check us out there uh so far i mean you know no impacts from elon's purchase uh as of yet so we'll just keep you up to date if we have to, you know, like head underground or anything. <laughs> oh my. The uh Well, I mean, Mika, we are we are going to cover a lot of ground. We're obviously Copa del Rey final is is a big one, but we're also going to talk title races as we saw a couple come to an end in the domestic leagues in Europe, but we have a couple, namely the Premier League and Serie A, that are still cooking and still uh, still looking very uh, lively. We also had big, big news in terms of Manchester United's manager appointment of Eric Ten Hag. And then we've got a whole host of European semifinals coming up later this week. So... Tons to look forward to, tons to talk about, and uh, and I'm, wow, yeah, quite the weekend, quite the weekend in uh, in in our beloved game. Yeah, it's it's getting to the business end, as they say. So everything has massive implications all over the place. So, um, 
yeah, excited to crack into it. Well, I mean, we may as well dive right in with the Copa del Rey final, as we as we talked about. Uh, Real Betis won, Valencia won with a 5-4 Betis win on penalties as Real Betis claim their first Copa del Rey since 2005. Um, and this one felt, I and I think... You know, a lot of a lot of what we've talked about this season with Betis is that this is a a progression for them. They they've taken some big steps in the league, but to to see this through to the end and and finish this Copa del Rey campaign with a trophy really feels like a, a big step for for Betis, this iteration of Betis. Yeah, it, it just it's always nice to have something tangible in the form of silverware for playing well. I mean, this is the best Betty side in, in many, many years, I would say. Um, and it's been built pretty carefully. Um, they brought in Manuel Pellegrini, and he's obviously been a revelation. I mean, I think there were some out there that thought maybe he was kind of finished, as it were, but uh, he's been great. Um, the recruitment has been very good. Um, and yeah, I mean, Betis is, is a huge club, you know, and, and for all its history, they don't have that many, you know, big titles. Um, like you said, the first Copa since 2005, they've won it three times now with, uh, one La Liga title in the thirties, I believe. So, you know, only four like major, major titles, tons of, uh, you know, second tier, uh, league titles, but yeah, uh, it's just huge. It's huge that the... Real Betis of the modern day has has some silverware, um, and it was a great game. I mean, the the game itself, the the whole tournament was really great. I mean, they, you know, had that wild tie with Sevilla, and and just they they I think they had a harder path to the final than Valencia, to be fair. Um, <laughs> but Valencia gave it gave it a lot, you know, and and um, Valencia have some institutional memory having won this this competition not too long ago under Marcelino, so. Um, it was great, and it's just nice to see a, a final that didn't include Real Madrid or Barcelona. To be fair, um, I think most can agree on that. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it was just it was awesome, and it was great to to get over the line. And so many storylines, like the game taking place in Sevilla, like at the at the Cartuja. I mean, Juan Miranda, the the lifelong Betico, scoring the winning penalty. Hector Bellerin assisting the the opener. His dad is a is a Betico. It's just. It's all, it's amazing. It's really, really awesome. And yeah, Borja Iglesias scoring after eleven minutes. It looked it looked at many points, I I would say throughout the match, Betis probably created the better chances. Um, although Hugo Duro is probably ruining that 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 miss. The the rebound that nearly, you know, it, it comes off of Claudio Bravo and and mm. probably was Valencia's chance to 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 nick it. I guess there was another chance late on. Um, Carlos Soler had like Soler. a breakaway. Yeah. yeah, right at the end. And right after Betis had had a big chance at the other end. Um, so, yeah, either team, it was really finely balanced. But I would say... Based on the quality of chances, it did feel like Betis probably had the the run of the ninety minutes. But um, coming down to coming down to penalties, and and you mentioned um, you know that reaction on the winning penalty is often you'll see players you know sprint 
away and and really revel in it and just like uh, you know screaming yelling but it, this was yeah. almost a almost a, a visceral reaction um from from a man who has been around the club basically his entire life yeah yeah like i said juan miranda like he's from you know the outskirts of seville he's he he came up through betis's academy of course had that stint at barcelona and then and then came back uh to betis and you know, not not necessarily like a start. I mean, Manuel Pellegrini rotates a lot, so it's been between him and, and Alex Moreno on on the you know at left back this season. But you know, by no means like one of the stars of the team or anything. And so for him to you know every penalty taker was a sub, <laughs> so <laughs> it was kind of like you know we we gambled a bit by taking off some of the big big players, the Canalises, the Fakirs, and what have you. Um, and and you know he's no different, Juan Miranda. So. Yeah, the the reaction was just like he was just overcome. I think, and yeah. I think he said in an inter- interview afterwards that he was just so scared um, <laughs> of 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 missing it. But no, he he actually took a really good penalty, actually. Uh, and um, yeah, Marmar Dashvile wasn't gonna get there. And I mean, it, it's just like I said, so many storylines, right? I mean, it just felt like I I I was thinking it wasn't gonna be our day just because Valencia were. I think they had the better of like the late stages of the game sure. as far as yeah. um, attacking is concerned and just getting a little bit more chances. But um, all the storylines would, would just have it be Betis on the night. Uh, and, and so it came to pass. <laughs> I was gutted that the person that missed it was Yunus Musa though. Yeah. Obviously as, as Americans um, and, and you know, he's in a hail end boy. So like I've, I've always, wanted to see him do well and that's just so so heartbreaking yeah um i mean shades of Bukayosaka at the euros right um and it's it's just really that that's upsetting yeah and and for i like you said uh in in that same vein as as Saka, just because he you know obviously musa doesn't doesn't start grabs the ball like takes responsibility you know in the penalty shootout and 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 blazes over and yeah it's 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 harsh on him because there's so many veteran presences around this Valencia team that you would expect like would just demand to be to be in the shootout and yet you know the eight the you know the teenage substitution um is is the one grabbing the ball and like taking responsibility and um yeah gutted for him that that he was the one to miss because i mean by and large and and for the entire shootout like each penalty was actually really well taken a lot of really good penalties uh in this one and i think um yeah highlighting the joaquin penalty had me like almost crying like it was so (laughs) close to being saved yeah um, and if again like more narrative right he's he's i think he's the only betis player in history to win two trophies like as a <laughs> betis player because again there hasn't been that many he won the copa in 05 right you know, famously brought the trophy to his wedding um and so that had me like on the edge of my seat because he, the you know, Marmar just really did get a hand to it or or something like it deflected and went in. 
Um, but yeah, I would have been gutted if Joaquin, you know, at the co- complete opposite end of his career to Yunus Musa, would have missed it too. Because right, um, you know, he's forty years old, and there was talk of him possibly, you know, retiring. But now he's he's actually gearing up for one more year. So, and the celebrations, obviously, wild. Betsy's enjoying enjoying the moment, basking in it, but. A little bit of uh, borderline not safe for work content went out on the Betty's feed in the post game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because the the you know the first time, like I said, the first time with Joaquin on the Copa in, in 05, there was this picture that I guess I mean it has to be photoshopped of him on like someone's body. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know, but you know he's got his birthday suit on and. They kind of did an homage to that one again, and anyone who's not has no idea like who even Rabetis is or, or the Copa del Rey. They don't pay attention to Spanish football. Is probably like, why is this on my feed? Um, but it's iconic. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I, the you know the story the story here too is that it's also um, like not not over for Betis in the league either um uh, and uh, a disappointing result um uh, against Elche not yeah. right before the final obviously a lot of rotation going on there too but with five matches left to play Betis sit four points adrift of Atleti in that fourth place uh spot they have, by virtue of their Copa win, clinched a spot in the Europa League next season. Um, but obviously, sneaking into the Champions League would be would be the cherry on top of what's been a great a great campaign for for uh, Mauricio's boys. Yeah, I mean, it would be nice. I, I, it would be nice if Sevilla just collapse and that Leti moves forward, and then we we take advantage of that. But I don't see it happening. I think Europa League is probably what I'd put the money on for I mean obviously with Copa del Rey but as far as in the table I I don't know I think it's kind of tough to go any higher than fifth at this point but um I mean on the flip side it's another lost season for Valencia unfortunately no Europe um probably need to sell a lot of players your your Solers your Gedges like it's 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 rough out in uh the Valencia community and yeah. for Los Che fans. Um, and, and I mean, I don't know. Pepe Borrelas, I think he's divides opinion for sure. Um, the football is not to everyone's liking, and I totally understand that. But I think he, like many before him, is finding it a difficult place to work. Yeah. Uh, because of the, I mean, honestly, the turmoil. <laughs> above him at the club and just the, the ownership being so um almost having contempt for the club and the fans so uh it's 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 a shame because Valencia is a huge club um but I think mid-table is the best that they can really aspire to this season yeah yeah it it, it is unfortunate and yeah it does seem a little bit imposed um because nobody's really nobody's really found the the solution in Valencia and and I think we've seen from other clubs, you know, elsewhere <laughs> that 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 unsettled boardrooms can can lead to unsettled results, unsettled players, unsettled management. So 
yeah, at, at the moment, I think Valencia are, it's, it's a very difficult position to be in because it's probably the hardest thing to turn around because there's not really a whole lot you can control about whether or not a certain personality or a certain, you know, um, yeah, investor goes or, or, or not. So yeah, tough, tough times for Valencia and unfortunate that, you know, they weren't able to get anything out of what was, a a good run in the Copa, but, um, yeah, but yeah, empty handed, unfortunately, um, there were a couple of clubs though that also placed their hands on silverware this weekend um, in the domestic leagues. Bayern uh, claimed their tenth straight Bundesliga win, um, and PSG reclaimed the Liga Un uh, title from Lille, uh, who who surpassed them last year. These are kind of interesting, Mika, because. They have clinched earlier than than you know the other top five leagues in Europe. You would say like that this was done at a canter in in both in both instances that you know Bayern really yeah kind of walked their way to to this title. Same with PSG. PSG maybe even maybe you wouldn't even say walked to for PSG. <laughs> like stumbled. I don't I don't know. Um, but yeah kind of strange in that we have two really uh, you know relatively early champions but both teams not really that settled Bayern exiting the Champions League against Villarreal PSG obviously going out around earlier and a lot of question marks around both teams both managers a lot of the players around the club I would say Bayern maybe a little more settled than PSG PSG seems to be a almost a crisis club winning a title um which which <laughs> seems insane so i mean what do you what do you make of like the fact that we're in this period for these teams that seems like transition but they're still wrapping up leagues i think it's a really interesting kind of parallel between these two clubs in the sense that yeah, I mean, they like you said, they wrapped up the leagues pretty early. And, and in Byron's case, 10 straight league titles, I mean, that's an excellent, like, just mind-blowing achievement. Yeah. Um, what that says about German football, we could probably dedicate a whole podcast to that alone. But um, And then with PSG, of course, you know, knocked off their perch by Lille last season under Christophe Gautier. So reclaiming the title was crucial because that's just embarrassing if you're PSG to not win Ligue 1. Um, and and as we know, both of these teams are are star-studded teams that that really want to win the Champions League every season if they can. And um, Bayern's managed to do that a couple times. PSG still waiting for theirs. Uh, but yeah, the parallels are are pretty obvious here in that these do feel like two clubs, kind of at like a crossroads or some kind of weird point in their cycles. Um, I mean. At PSG, like, what's next, right? Uh, Kylian Mbappe, like, <laughs> you can't go a day without seeing something about him leaving PSG uh, at the end of the season. Um, Pochettino as well, like, it seems like he doesn't really like working at PSG. Um, and maybe the feeling's mutual <laughs> with Leonardo <laughs> and, the, and the board and, and Nasser Al-Khalifi. Um, with Bayern, I mean, this is the first time we're really hearing that Robert Lewandowski might move on. 
So yeah, parallels there in terms of, you know, just the stars maybe heading out for, for pastures anew. I don't know. Or maybe they're bored. <laughs> I don't know. We need a new <laughs> challenge or something, but um, yeah, it's, it is odd, you know, that they've, they've clinched these trophies, but it just feels like there's more questions than answers with, with having done so. Interesting in, in Byron's case that they, they clinched the title by virtue of a three, one win in Dare Classicer, which obviously typically very heated, very, uh, you know, hotly contested game and felt like, again, felt like Bayern kept pretty much kept Dortmund at arm's length. They allow two shots on target, one of which is a penalty that Emre Chan scores. And it just sort of demonstrated the gulf in that, like, Bayern, you know, could have, I mean, they didn't need to to win. Like, the title was all but one. Um, and yet, uh, they did it without even like fully getting out of, you know, second or third gear, it felt like. And they just, they just kind of are able to, to do this quite easily domestically. Um, I did find it interesting that the three goal scorers, Serge Gnabry and Robert Lewandowski have both been reportedly, as you said, like looking, looking to move Gnabry's not, not renewed his contract. Um, and then Jamal Musiala adds the third, which it almost felt like, you know, two of the, you know, Serge Gnabry, who's emerged over the last over the last couple of seasons for Bayern, and then Lewandowski, who's you know been the mainstay over the last over the last few years, and then Musiala, who a lot is pinned on, like into this new era of Bayern. It felt almost like this sort of changing of the guard in a, in a weird way. Um, and, yeah. uh, and so, yeah, I think, I think if I look at these two teams, I think the one thing about Bayern is that there are a lot of question marks around their hierarchy and a lot of the changes that have taken place recently at the boardroom level. But I think the institutional knowledge there and the amount, like, I think they've handled these sort of transitions before, and I probably trust them more. Like if I'm if I'm saying like Bayern or PSG to get it right, like I think Bayern, I probably have more faith in Bayern getting it right. Um, PSG, like they just are, pro- they're prone to this. Like let's just blow the project up and just do something else. Um, and nobody really knows what that will look like. I don't know. Like with with Leonardo, mm-hmm. it's it's anyone's guess. I at this point. Yeah, it's. It'll be interesting to see what transpires with Mbappe. I mean, I I can't see him staying. Like, I really can't. Um, Real Madrid's always been his dream, you know. And and Neymar's there for a good couple years longer. Messi, I I, I suppose will will continue there. Um, scored an absolute screamer though against Lens to to clinch the title. So yeah, I mean, what's been a difficult season for Leo? I think it's fair to say. In some respects, I mean, still creating at elite levels, but I mean, four goals on the season is pretty like shocking. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, I think you, I think he can be forgiven having been uprooted from literally the club that he grew up at, and you know, being in this new environment, being forced out, you know, by by circumstance. So yeah. Um, but still, for a player of his level, that's crazy. 
Um, so that was kind of interesting that he clinched it ultimately, <laughs> you know, um, on the day uh, with with a really good finish. But yeah, PSG, I, I, I agree with you. I think that if there's anyone who's prone to missteps um, and prone to a little just like chaos, it's them and, and Bayern should be able to to see it through a bit easier, I think. If, uh, yeah, if Christopher Nkunku ends up at Bayern and not back at PSG, then you can just, <laughs> anyways. I don't know. I think he's going to the Premier League, but. Yeah, he, he may. I honestly, I <laughs> would love to see him. I'd love to see him stay in red if we're being honest, but. Um... <laughs> Me too. <laughs> While we're while we're on the topic, um, the Premier League title race is still well underway, and this weekend uh, didn't do anything to separate uh, the two main challengers as Man City uh, eased past Watford five one. Um, but by virtue of four Gabriel Jesus goals as well, this was a little bit a little bit shocking. I think even for like the five one against Watford. Not really anything to write home about, but Gabriel Jesus scoring four goals seems noteworthy regardless. He's a good player. I mean, he's a good player. Imagine that. They have a striker that, that can score goals, um, and he ha- he does have a pretty good goal-scoring record for City. Um, one of those players, though, that is can be hot and cold. Uh, obviously, it was his day that day against Watford, and I think Watford are as good as, as relegated. Um, but yeah, just light work for City, and they keep on marching, and I think they're still a point ahead of, of Liverpool. Both sides with plenty of European distraction, though, um, and um, yeah, it's 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 very tight at the top there, and I'm honestly, I had City winning the league, that's who I picked at the beginning of the season. I think I'm still sticking with that, but I am genuinely surprised that there is a title race because at one point it was like a 13 point gap and you felt like there's just no way but liverpool and (laughs) they're just amazing i mean the quadruple is still on for liverpool for (laughs) god's sake like um it's 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 wild and they've already got a a cup in the bag so um and probably to be honest are going through to a, a champions league final but uh we'll get there yeah don't 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 Give me the the Unai Emery jinx, like the Unai <laughs> Emery voodoo. It's it's crazy, man. The yeah. Premier League is it's it's gonna go down, I guess, to the final day potentially. Um, but Liverpool who have Newcastle next, which is, I think they have enough for them, but that it does feel like banana peely, if anything. Uh, and then who does City play next in the league? Uh, Leeds. They should. Yeah. They should beat Leeds. Leeds are not safe yet. Both Leeds away, interestingly. Yeah. Like so. Liverpool at St James Park and and City at Ellen Road, but mm. the um the interesting thing too about this is uh I think the Premier League is is despite despite the fact that Liverpool and City are obviously in European semifinals, you know, in Champions League semifinals, the Premier League is probably the worst of the top five leagues at trying to help their, like, their contenders in Europe. 
Because in what world, like, so Liverpool play Everton on Sunday. They have the first leg of the of the Champions League semifinal against Villarreal on Tuesday. And then they play Saturday, or sorry, on Wednesday. Wait, now I'm confused. No, I think it is. No, it's not tomorrow, is it? Yeah, it is. Uh, Villarreal is tomorrow. Yeah. So they play, they turn around and play Tuesday, and then they play the early kickoff on Saturday in Newcastle. Which, as we know, Jurgen Klopp loves the Saturday early kickoff. So. Yeah. Um, like. <laughs> yeah, no, that forever, like, European contenders are getting hoed by the Premier League. So, yeah. yeah. But they Uh-oh. continue to make it that far in the Champions League that it's like, okay, well. Yeah, it's kind of a wash. <laughs> been, yeah, I mean, I'm not. I don't want to complain too much because, yeah, I mean, it is. It's a it nice problem to have, I guess. But, um, but yeah, Liverpool, Liverpool getting past getting past uh, Everton. I'm I'm curious from a from a neutral perspective if like mm-hmm. so a lot of people talking about. Everton walking away with a lot of credit out of this one. How do you, how, uh, what do you think of, of like the approach? Like, do they, like, does Everton deserve credit for just keeping this close or like giving Liverpool a game? Or is it like, cause I, I don't know. I was feeling kind of, I mean, it was very Mourinho esque, I guess, in, in the execution where it was, it, I, I felt a little like, embarrassed on Lampard's behalf in terms of like <laughs> what they were trying to do was yeah. like not play football like that that was mm-hmm. the plan was like play as little football as possible I think that people are uh, personally my my opinion I think people are giving Everton way too much credit um Liverpool had 82 percent of the ball Everton had maybe what one shot on target um, I do think Everton, I think that they should have had a penalty for Matip's push on, is it Gordon? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the tricky yeah, one out there. Anthony. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think they can feel hard done by that. But as far as actually like the football, I think the only thing that I would compliment is not getting blown away in the first half. I mean, woohoo, like, great. It's a yeah. derby and you're about to get relegated. Like... <laughs> You know, if that's what you're going to hang your hat on, then I guess fine. But I just, I, yeah, I thought that was a little bit strange. The only thing for Everton that I thought was unjust was just not getting that penalty. And honestly, I think that, I think Gordon had dived earlier in the mm-hmm. game and it might have, Like know, really badly as well. Yeah, yeah. it might have informed the later call, which shouldn't happen, but it does. It yeah. did, it looks like. Because I do think the the later one is a legitimate penalty, <laughs> um, but you know it it goes the way of Liverpool there. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't know why otherwise why Everton are getting so much credit. I think it's kind of bizarre, actually. Yeah, I and that penalty moment for me is one of those where it's like, if he'd given it, I'd be like, okay, fair. But like. I also see why he wouldn't give it necessarily because the contact is relatively like minimal in terms like it Matsup's not like stuck his foot in or like tripped him or anything like that. It is like there is a there is a push, I think, 
it seems pretty it seems pretty minimal but but either way like the um yeah just the idea of everton they're like oh if they have this fight in the rest you know in the rest of the uh in the rest of the games that they face like everton will will beat the drop type thing and I don't know if I buy that because they need to win football matches. And if they play like they did against Liverpool against everybody else, they're not going to win many games. Like they might get some draws, but they're not going to like win much. If you're relying on like, hopefully we get a penalty and keep a clean sheet. Like that's not going <laughs> to yeah. be enough to, to like stay up, especially given the fact that they have a brutal run in, um, yeah, they still have uh, Chelsea, Arsenal, rematch with Leicester. They did draw Brentford. Watford is kind of a weird one. And Crystal Palace, who are quite good. So, yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I said it like two months ago. I was like, Everton are in trouble because yeah. the football was dire. The run-in for them is, is terrible. And there just seems to be I, – I don't know. I mean, this is not a – this club as an institution has not been functional for a while, I would argue. Yeah. And this is where that gets you. It gets you in the relegation zone. Um, and um, yeah, it would, I, I think it would be a shame for Everton to go down because they are a big club and, you know, historically are, are successful. Um, and it's, it's a shame because, They've got a big fan base and and just all of that. It would just be really weird. They're like pure Barclays, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and that would be really catastrophic for them, I think, in a lot of ways. If I mean, I'll I'll be the first to admit that as a Liverpool fan, like I'll I'll be mad at Everton if they go down in place of Burnley. Like, <laughs> I will hold that against you're them. Like, yeah, you're like there are bigger things here <laughs> to be concerned with. No, Do I, you think Burnley make the, the escape? They sacked Sean Dyche, which is I thought was crazy at the time, but I mean they've been getting results ever since. And now they're like playing football, yeah. It I don't know. Um, they like passed for a goal. It was weird. <laughs> is that allowed? Um <laughs> Yeah. I don't know I don't know if I don't know if Burnley have enough about that. Like it's one of those tough things where when you see it week to week and you look at the snapshot of okay, Burnley Burnley win Everton lose like you know now we're talking about this like larger gap I think more so the issue is like if Burnley scrape by a couple of a couple of results in this tough run where Everton play Chelsea like if Everton get like pasted by Chelsea and are all of a sudden like you know an additional six points like difference now between the then like then they're in trouble um yeah, Everton do have a game in hand, I believe, but uh, you know that game in hand can be yeah a curse as well. So if this gap gets any wider for Everton, I'd be really I'd be really um, concerned. And yeah, I mean Watford and Norwich are down, but but yeah, this last spot, I think. I don't think Leeds are necessarily safe either. There's been some talk about, yeah, like Leeds probably but, but Jesse need... Marsh has done quite a job. I just don't think that they're yeah. exactly safe yet. So Yeah. Three wins in their last five, though. So, I mean, it, you'd expect them to, to get, you know, they probably need a win. 
<laughs> to be safe. Yeah. Um, they just ship goals. Like, yeah, they really do. Goals. Minus goals. 30 goal difference. The only The only two teams with a worse goal difference than Leeds are Watford and Norwich. Yeah. And they're <laughs> definitely going down. So, yeah. Uh, meanwhile, Palace's... Palace is 14th with a positive two goal difference. <laughs> the same as Manchester United. They just draw too much. Yeah, do. they do. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, with five games to go, a point separates City and Liverpool. There's also, I mean, there's still a, on paper a race for top four, although it seems like it's a two-horse race and it's going to come down to Arsenal and Tottenham probably for that for that fourth spot. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, Arsenal dropped three on the trot and then beat Chelsea at the bridge and United at the Emirates, and it's just like this club, like, <laughs> I can't stand them. Um, but, yeah, there is a huge North London derby coming up. I I am convinced that the league and the FA took forever to reschedule it because they wanted to make it as dramatic as possible. And they, well, May twelfth, uh, they they got their wish. That's a huge match, and and that you think I I think whoever wins that is well positioned for for uh, fourth. Um, Spurs are in a weird weird way right now. They haven't put a shot on target in over three and a half hours of football. So that's not great. Um, you'd think Antonio Conte, as good of a manager as he is, would have some kind of answer to that. Um, so, yeah, it's it's very interesting for that fourth spot. I, I you know, in the in the Arsenal perspective, um, I do think at the beginning of the season, if you told me like we'd get Europa League, I'd buy Trandoff because I think that was the goal is Europe, not necessarily Champions League, but. Obviously, as the season has gone on, expectations have changed, and it's just—it's one of those things that you want it so bad that it just feels like because of that, it won't happen. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. I'm trying not to get too wrapped up in it and just see see where we go. But um, yeah, I, and United, I would think they're just too dysfunctional to be be in it at this point. But but who knows? Um, yeah, it's interesting for sure. Well. While we're on the topic of United, we may as well talk about what is going on behind the scenes, obviously, because Manchester United had this run of pretty poor results and uh, decided to announce their new manager. Um, We always knew that Ralph Rangnick was going to be uh, an interim solution, and they've got their permanent boss. Eric Ten Hag has agreed to join Manchester United from Ajax. Um, this appointment has been talked about, I mean, for a while. And I think this has always Mm -hmm. been something that's been on United's radar. Um, there's been a lot of, a lot of fan opinion about, about Ten Hag and, and him being, you know, this sort of option outside of the traditional kind of, uh, uh, top five leagues. And, uh, yeah, United get their man Ten Hag's inbound. How do you feel about the appointment, and and what do you think this means for Manchester United? Yeah, I mean they the the timing of the announcement is hilarious. <laughs> they needed a, so it's like when Arsenal have bad results and we drop a a throwback kit. Like 
you know, I guess Man- <laughs> Manchester United's version is dropping a new manager <laughs> announcement. <laughs> um, all joking aside, though, I mean, Eric Ten Hag, obviously one of the hottest commodities in the manager market. They got their man. Um, they're hoping that he's the answer. Uh, and we know that it's not as simple as that. But, you know, his exploits at Ajax, I think, are pretty well known at this point. Obviously, they went on that magical run in the in the Champions League. Um and yeah, we knocked out by Spurs at the end of the day, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Um, in the yeah, in the set was it the quarterfinal? Quarterfinal, semifinal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, quarterfinal. Quarterfinal, because then Spurs played City in the semifinal, right? So, um, yeah, I mean that 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 side was just so good. I mean, or wait, semifinal. Was it City semifinal? and Spurs played in the quarterfinal, and then they play, and then Spurs played Ajax in the semifinal. There you go. That's what it was. Who knows? But, uh, yeah, no, I mean, that side was incredible. I mean, obviously, Frankie de Jong, Matthijs de Ligt, Tadic, Blind. Like, it was such a good side. And he was able to crack on from there because they've still won titles in, in the Netherlands. Um, and, I mean, he he's young, you know, as far as managers go. He's only 52 years old. He plays an attractive style of football. Obviously, at Ajax, you're expected to bring through youth and make players better. He's shown that he can do that. My question is, what is the transition like from Ajax to Manchester United in the age of social media and all that? Where the, I mean, the expectation is like not even comparable, right? I mean, with all respect to Ajax, because they are a big club. Yeah. But it's it's Manchester United that we're talking about, and these are fans that have been just going through it, to be honest. <laughs> they yeah. It's not worked out in any way that makes sense for the long term ever since Sir Alex Ferguson stepped down. So um, I think this is a good appointment. I just feel like he needs time. And, and I think you and I both know that rebuilds can be very painful, um, and take quite a bit of time. And, and, um, yeah, it's, it's not because United don't have the money for a rebuild. They certainly do. They spend so, so much. Um, but do they have the time and do they have the, the stomach for it? Um, cause I think Eric Ten Hag is going to be telling these people like this, most of the squad has to go. Yeah, I think. Um, so, well, there interesting was, times. Yeah, and there was an interesting piece on on ESPN um, from Rob Dawson talking about uh, Manchester United's, you know, sources close to the club, basically uh, distancing themselves from Ralph Rangnick's uh, comments that ten players could arrive this summer. Um, <laughs> They are basically saying slow your roll, um, and uh, so they they're the quote in the article says uh, that Manchester United have told Eric Ten Hag he will have to see he will have to oversee an evolution rather than a revolution of the squad, and the um, they said he will be granted significant funds. Um, but it does also look like the recruitment department are, and this is from these sources again, so take this with a grain of salt, but they are looking on a plan of bringing in three new arrivals um, in the short term. 
and that's before any sales. So I'm sure player sales are going to fund any further moves. Um, but they are, they are losing Pogba on a free. So the sales are going to come from Eric by Phil Jones, Anthony Martial, Alex Tellez and Aaron Juan Basaka. All of those players will move at a fraction of what they paid for them. Like there's not one player here whose value has increased since they've been at United. And so I, I do worry about like, will they have, because the names getting thrown around for Manchester United are, well, for some reason, (laughs) a lot of the press around Manchester United is talking about signing Darwin Nunez. You don't need a time. Like, don't. That's not where you need to start. Like, you don't need to start at the front of end of the pitch. You need to start right in the middle. Like, and the name that the name that's been thrown around is Declan Rice. And I have I have really bad news for United there, too, because he's going to cost a zillion dollars. Like (laughs) he West Ham are in. They are in a European semifinal. They like they've d- performed well in the league. They do not need to sell him, like, so they will hold them hostage all summer. I think they will end up getting it over the line. But my thing is, and and I really rate Declan Rice. I think yeah. he's a very good player. But I think he is. I think people think he's something that he's not, which it, is he's not a six, right? Like just because he's maybe built like one doesn't actually mean he, he's an eight. Yeah, really. It's a reverse. Um, it's a reverse Pogba. Like <laughs> they think that he's a a midfielder that he isn't, and that it's mm-hmm. the same type of same type of yeah. syndrome that they're now. They need a six. They need a six. They. I think they. Yeah. I think they've needed a six for like years. I mean, they could um, probably do with a a really good eight too. But I just think mm-hmm. like. If you go get Declan Rice now, if you got Declan Rice last summer, you probably pay a little bit over the odds, but not like astronomically. Mm-hmm. This summer, I think West Ham are going to be like, yeah, he's 150. You can have him. He's not worth that. Like, and uh, it's nothing against yeah. him. He's just not yeah. worth that. Like, yeah. But he's English yeah. and yeah, he's going to command a high mind. price. Yeah. Here's what I will say about Eric Ten Hag that I think is a good thing for Manchester United supporters is he will coach these players because yeah. here's the thing. There are a lot of players in this United squad that are very talented and have just not been coached for like years now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I mean, the first one that comes to my mind and you actually put it, you, you read him out on that outgoing list is Aaron Wan-Bissaka is a good player. Like he has completely stagnated, if not regressed. At Manchester United, I thought the bot the the purchase of him was weird in the first place because he's, I don't know, just not what I would think they'd want in a Manchester United fullback. But regardless, he's like one of the quintessential examples of a player that's not been coached. It yeah. would seem, um, and so if it is the case that they're not going to just completely revolutionize the squad, but rather evolve it, then Eric Ten Hag can at least coach these players. Now, will these players? receive that (laughs) let's see i think i think sometimes it's blown a little bit out of proportion like the the locker room 
toxicity, if you will. Yeah. I think it's just they really aren't coached, and they so they can't be asked. But, um, yeah, it's it's just fascinating. It's really fascinating. Yeah. Um, and I mean, yeah, I just think it. I think it's gonna take time for it to to all come together. Um, and the Rangnick thing, like, I think it's safe to say it's been a failure as far as the this interim thing. Um, and I, and I really liked the hire at the time. I think if we go mm-hmm. back to whatever we spoke about it, when it, when it happened, it's like, okay, that makes a lot of sense. He's a football man, but it just hasn't worked. Um, yeah. and, and that's how it goes sometimes. But yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Um, and he'll be, uh, coming up against his, I guess you could say his former boss in, in Pep Guardiola as he managed Bayern Munich too, when, when Pep was at Bayern. So, um, <laughs> now they'll be on either side of, of Manchester, but. Just really, really interesting. And I guess Manchester United, I guess they're treating the season like a wash. I don't know. Um, it's kind of crazy to say that about Manchester United, but yeah, I mean, out of, out of the Champions League and then basically they they suffer they suffer those back-to-back defeats. Well, yeah, they they suffer the, the loss to Everton and then they rebound with that like narrow win over Norwich and then they get they they get hit by Liverpool, then Arsenal. And it seemed like the hierarchy basically said, like, okay, well, that that's top four gone, so announce Ten Hag. <laughs> <laughs> um, Cynical, but it is. I mean, hey, yeah, that was uh, no. It'll be interesting. I I think I think very highly of Eric Ten Hag. I think I think he is facing a gargantuan job, like. It, this is not going to be easy and it's not not going to be immediate in terms of his success. But I do think in terms of the amount of, you know, like you said, the level of coaching will go up. He's got a job. He's got a job in front of him. That's for sure. Um, I'm also interested to see how he does with English media, because in the Netherlands, he's like notorious for being kind of bumbling in press conferences at times. So, um you know, the English media and, and fans can be pretty cruel when it comes to that stuff. Look no further than Unai Emery. Yeah. Um, which really sucks, but it is what it is. So um, he should do. We shall see. He should do Bielsa and just bring a Dutch translator in with him to every press conference <laughs> and just have him. If only Dutch people didn't speak better English than English people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, man. Well, um, well, quickly, we do have another title race on. Uh in in Europe and a and a big big title race at that uh it, and it is going right down to the wire between the two Milan clubs again in Italy um Inter get a get a 3-1 win against Roma um and AC Milan leave it extremely late but get a 2-1 win over Lazio when it was looking like maybe Inter were going to to finally pull away in this title race and uh and AC Milan Keep it interesting. Napoli, though, a late loss to Empoli has effectively knocked them out of of the race for the Scudetto. Um, huge weekend in in Syria, uh, and now it is, I guess, still evens basically between uh, Milan and and Inter. Yeah, I mean, Inter have the game in hand. They go to Bologna tomorrow. They'll play Bologna at the Estadio Renato Dallara, I think it's called. Um, Bologna are decent at home, but I think Inter should have enough to beat them. 
Um, yeah, and like you said, AC Milan winning it really late in Rome against Lazio, that Tonali goal at the death. I was sitting there watching the game like, oh, it's done. Like, Milan had to win this one. They have to be, like, essentially perfect to keep it going. And they were able to do it. They showed a lot of heart um, uh, to, to win it on the road like that in a really tough atmosphere, as we know, uh, at the at the Olimpico. Um, but I just think that Inter still have this in the bag. And, in fact, I think it would be an even more impressive achievement if Inter win the Scudetto this season just because I think that while this has been a really exciting and fun Serie A campaign it's not been a high quality one and I don't mean that to like shit on these clubs yeah. <laughs> um, because I, I really enjoy Serie A but just everyone's kind of like good like no one's like elite it's it's not like City and, and Liverpool where it's just like two absolute titans two machines going at it this is a bunch of like good clubs like just trying to get ahead of one another and and kind of you know and enter in that kind of transition phase with with Simone Inzaghi coming in after Conte uh, Milan with the the Pioli project Napoli like bottle jobs as per like it's just <laughs> it's just so sad um yeah I don't know what is wrong with Napoli, but that's it for them yeah it looks like it's just between the Milan clubs I do still have Inter though to take it I'm wondering I mean, do you do you feel the same, or do you think Milan has has a chance here? I I think the thing about this Inter side is they of the teams in this league, they are the most the ones I trust to impose themselves on a given game. Like this Roma match is a good example where they weren't like they weren't at their fluid fluid best throughout, but. Once they got the advantage with that opener from Dumfries, they immediately press that advantage and Brozovic gets a second. It's like it all yeah. it all just happens very quickly for Inter. And they have I think we saw it in the in the tie against Liverpool where it was like, um, you know, Martinez gets that goal back at Anfield and all of a sudden, like it feels like Inter are really on top for a period. And obviously the Alexis Sanchez red card kind of put a halt to that in that particular instance, but you can feel the momentum with them and AC Milan. I think the one, the one thing that is just going to keep them from being um, what they probably should be is one. They, they give up a, a, I would say a few too many goals, not to say that, I mean, 30 and 34 is a great record. Don't get me wrong, but inter have been, even better, like at an elite level defensively and Milan have this way of like, well, I guess Milan don't score enough to allow the goals that they do. Like they, they aren't consistently, Mm, they aren't consistent with the, with their goal scoring. And I think that that just ultimately now Olivier Giroud is, you don't count him out like at the business end of any sort of competition because he always seems to pop up with, with big goals, but um, any Except any when Arsenal are trying to win a title, but that's well, there. you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, some of these draws, I think they'll just look back and and really rue. Like, I mean, they drew Bologna a couple of weeks ago, drew against Torino, um, and they've got they've got some tricky ones coming up. Like that, they're running Fiorentina. Hell, hell is. I mean, we could see. Simeone play a part in the in, yeah Hellas Verona man like don't that is a banana peel team right there yeah 
Atalanta as Atalanta have been pretty poor. Don't get me wrong. Like they've really plummeted. Um, so sad recently, but them and Sassuolo to, to close out the season. So there's a lot of, and a Sassuolo team that seemingly only decides to play well when they're playing a title contender. Um, <laughs> Couldn't get it done against Juventus today, but yes. Yeah. They, <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it just, uh, I think Inter, it's still advantage Inter. I think having that game in hand is a little bit of, uh, you know, despite being behind AC Milan, I think it gives them a little bit more to kick on. And, and uh, you know, obviously, I think it's been interesting because this has been, this is a conversation that's been had in the, in the Premier League title chase. But to be the chaser versus being the chased, every pundit that, that, speaks on tv is like well i'd rather be city i'd rather have the points in the bag like i'd rather be them i don't know psychologically if that actually tracks because it seems like these chasing teams like always have a way or always find a way to like get it done um so i don't know i don't know i guess we'll see um the storyline at the other end of the table that's kind of flown under the radar a little bit and i think it has to do with Americans um soft spot for this particular club but Venezia's just plummet to dead last in the table has been yeah. I mean frankly it's been tough um they they've not had anything to write home about they've lost 5 in a row um they've just been shocking for for a while now and Salernitana have won three straight games and are now, I mean, they looked dead and buried even, I mean, months ago we were yeah. talking about Salernitana. We're back in Serie B and here they are. They're three points from safety with a game in hand. Cagliari are, are within striking distance. Yeah. Cagliari beat Genoa though, which was huge, obviously. Yeah. But uh, I think Salernitana have that, that game in hand. So yeah, it would be nuts if they're able to survive. Um, but yeah, no, Venezia has just been really sad to see. They just don't have the squad really to compete at, at, at a Serie A level, unfortunately. And, um, yeah, uh, they don't, they don't score nearly as many goals as, as they should just 27 goals on, on the season. Not good enough, obviously, if you want to stay up. Um, yeah, yeah, it just sucks. I think that, that, that's, that's probably it for them. Well, the season, the season, uh, is, I mean, like we said, it's a business end We're we're in, into the final, the final stretches here. We've already named a couple of domestic league champions and we're also into the business end of the European competition. So we'll take a quick break and break down some of the semifinals coming up this week. Welcome back to hardcore football. Make a champions league semifinal. Uh, we're down down to the final four. Manchester City take on Real Madrid tomorrow, and then Liverpool via Real on Wednesday. So, I mean, these these matchups, I guess, like you know, there's obviously so many permutations at the beginning of the season and everything like that, but it coming down to these four teams, it's really like. There's a couple in there where you're like, yeah, it makes total sense. And then uh, it it feels like 
Villarreal really are are playing like party crashers in in Europe's elite at the moment. They're doing an Ajax, but like an even more impressive version of that, given you know how small of a club and city they are, you know, in comparison to to the teams that are still left. But I mean, I think City Madrid is the more like int- not more intriguing, but just like this is a real like heavyweight bout, you know, in 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 terms of these semifinals. Um, City, I think they have a pretty good record against Madrid in this competition as of late, but I don't know that they've ever encountered a Korean Benzema who's absolutely possessed in the way that he is right now. Um, and and Real Madrid are on track to win La Liga as well. Um, and yeah, they're just they're on fire, and I think that. I think they might win this tie. Um, I think that there's destined to be a Spanish team in the in the final this season, and it just seems like it's all going well for Madrid. We know Pep will be accused of overthinking and whatnot. Um, hopefully, he's learned from from the past in, in terms of like switching up the tactics and all that. Um, City haven't conceded in four separate knockout games, which is good. But again, I think that Benzema and, and Real Madrid just have that's something about them that that tells me that they're going to get through. I don't know if you feel the same. Yeah, I think I mean it was it's really interesting that City will face, you know, both Madrid clubs in back-to-back rounds but couldn't be facing like more different opponents um mm-hmm. in terms of the approach, the style and I don't mean to be I don't mean to take away from what from what City did against Atleti because I do think going th- you know I know firsthand as a Liverpool fan that going through against Atleti is not a foregone conclusion and they can play really you know cagey and still get through and and you know uh and frustrate you so City going through still still impressive um against Atleti but I I don't think I put as much credence into the defensive stat just because Atleti were so defensive and and created so little like across the two legs by design like I mean pretty much by design and they still almost nicked it like they maybe should have had a penalty they uh they had another chance where I uh it goes over the top to Suarez, I believe, and and he probably should do better. Um, and so, yeah, I think they were right on the verge of still going out and, and probably didn't make that as easy for themselves as they should have. Madrid are a very different prospect um, in terms of the... But I think we'll see some... You know, we'll see Madrid try to frustrate City and try to try to break things up a little bit. I think, I think we won't see, you know, just punch counter punch. Like, I don't think it's going to be as end to end. I think Madrid will maybe be a little bit worried about how they played against Chelsea and let allowing, allowing those games to get as stretched as they did. Um, so because I think if that does happen, then yeah, advantage city, because I think they have, they just have so many options, so many weapons, um, I think Madrid will want to keep it a little bit more, a little bit more organized. Although in this competition, they've thrived, they've thrived in chaos. So, um, so maybe that is, 
maybe that is the way for Madrid. I don't know, but it it feels like it is. Yeah, it's. I I think I think this is. I mean, it's going to be extremely tight, but I do think Madrid have a, have a really good chance here, just because City are facing a very different prospect than what they than what they did in the last round. I think that's fair, yeah, and and you could argue that they had a quote easier, if ever so slightly easier road, having gone up against who was it from Portugal, Sporting. Mm-hmm. That they blew away. <laughs> um, and yeah. then, yeah, Atleti, obviously not an easy tie by any means, but not a whole lot going on there that they couldn't control. So that's fair. Um, whereas Madrid had to go through, you know, Chelsea, um, PSG, and the like. So, yeah. I just, Madrid, there's just something about them right now that it's like I, I wouldn't want to come up against them and cutting Benzema right now. Yeah. Um, Liverpool Villarreal, though, like for me, this is clear cut, but maybe for others, it's not. And you are the the red here. So you backing your boys? I mean, always. Um, but I I do hate this matchup for a number of reasons. And it's <laughs> and it's because like we know exactly. We've seen the blueprint like Villarreal are they they've successfully done this now <laughs> throughout the competition. They, you know, they breeze, you know, in the end it is, I would say breezing past Juve. Um, and then, I mean, they, they beat Bayern. Obviously it's an extremely close match. It was, you know, balanced on a knife edge for most of the tie, but they successfully frustrated Bayern. Um, and I do think, I think the one thing that gives me, comfort um with this Liverpool side against Villarreal is primarily around Klopp's ability and and the squad's ability to offer very different looks to Villarreal with the personnel that they have um where it's not it's not as much like what it used to be with Liverpool when they were facing a low block where it was you know front three and inshallah like like it was tough in those in those games against the low block and i think i think now they've got a lot of different configurations where they can they can have um you know sadio mane's recently been playing a lot as the nine um with Salah coming in off the wing and then i mean you have kind of your pick of of jota who offers you know basically like a second striker coming out from wide or Luis Diaz now who offers, you know, just a very direct dribbling threat and, and all that. So I think, I think there's just a lot of options um, in, in those attacking spaces. And then you can even configure in the midfield where, you know, you have the likes, you know, I think we see Tiago and Fabinho pretty regularly, but you can mix it up where Keita is going to be a more central like dribbling threat while Henderson is going to get, more so out into the wide areas and try to stretch things. So yeah, it's a, yeah. it's a, I think that's the one thing where I say, you know, Villarreal are going to, we know they're going to be very organized. We know they're going to set up well. And Unai Emery in a, in European, I mean, in European competition, you know, period is 
like unmatched at getting results. Like he's unbelievable in these sorts of in these sorts of uh, ties. And I think really it's just going to be about Liverpool getting Villarreal uncomfortable quite early because I think the longer that this tie is separated by just a single goal or or is level, um, the the odds just slowly increase in in Villarreal's favor. So I think mm. the onus is on Liverpool to to really take advantage of the first leg being at home and and get Villarreal you know out of sorts where they can't just set up and and try to nick it at home um, in in yeah. back in Spain. Yeah, all good points there. I, I mean, I, I personally think that this is the end of the road for Villarreal. Um, I think that it's obviously been a wonderful campaign for them, but I just think Liverpool have too much for them. Um, although, correct me if I'm wrong, Phil, but there is a little bit of scar tissue here because Unai Emery has knocked Jurgen Klopp out of European competition before, I think, with Sevilla he, uh, in the early days of, of Klopp's reign at Liverpool. Is that right? Yeah, he beat he beat uh Liverpool in a Europa League final um mm. in Klopp's first season uh and canceled out uh, honestly he became a, a a full-time villain for for me because he canceled out probably one of the greatest goals scored in a European final Daniel Sturridge curled in this unbelievable goal with the outside of his left boot um a Travello that Karezma would even be jealous of. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, he, he bested him. That was um, with current Villarreal player, Alberto Moreno putting in an yep. absolute nightmare of a second half to, yep, <laughs> to see that, that uh, yep. to see that lead evaporate. But anyways, um, yeah. You know so he's really... gotten one over us before. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What what is really intriguing for me, and why I think this is, in a way, the more interesting watch, even though Manchester City Madrid is the the marquee, if you will, the matchups here, like the potential for matchups here, is tasty because it's like the so Villarreal are going to be missing Gerard Moreno, one of their best players. He's out, uh, injured, been struggling with injury. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how they set up in the attack uh, without him, but. I mean, Liverpool have so many options in attack, and I just wonder who they're going to put on who. I mean, who is going to make Raul Albiol look his age, right? Like, who <laughs> is going to really show us what Pau Torres' level is? Because I think he's a fantastic player, um, but maybe he has not come up against an attacker or attackers quite like the ones Liverpool have. I mean, who are they going to play in the wide areas? I mean, Juan Foyth is... is kind of unconventional for a fullback kind of bigger maybe more center back built like who's going at him who's going at Serge Aurier like Pervis Estupignan like it's just gonna be fantastic in that yeah. way like um and and likewise going the other way you know like what what's Van Dyke gonna do with with Danjuma uh you know his I think his countrymen right yeah uh to the two Dutch boys uh Bulaidia. I mean they, there's it's just so interesting like all these different matchups across the pitch um, cause it's, it's two really good sides, but I just think that Liverpool are just, a levels above. And I think that they should make it through with ease. So you, you are picking a, a repeat of the, of the 2018 final then Liverpool That's Real right. Madrid. 
That's right. And I think and I think if it gets there, I think maybe I don't know actually. I don't know. I haven't thought that far, but I do think it'll be Liverpool Madrid um in the end. So I can't tell which one I'd like less. Like <laughs> I I think I think I want Madrid just because the idea of facing facing Manchester City in a one-off to like because there's, you know, a lot of banter it, with Manchester City is that they haven't, you know, done anything in Europe. Um, but being the being the team between them and their first, you know, first Champions League, that doesn't feel great. So I'd much rather have the stakes be, you know, Liverpool winning again or <laughs> mm-hmm. or Madrid get their, you know, 75th European Cup right. like. You know right. that. <laughs> like, I don't even know what the Spanish word would be for that. This one, it'll be like <laughs> they've counted decima. Like <laughs> <laughs> they've counted too high. <laughs> yeah, oh, you're right. Man. Yeah, that's a. I think if I were a Liverpool fan, it'd be more. It'd be easier to stomach like Madrid potentially getting one over than like City. So yeah. Um, but gosh, it, it'll be it'll be great. But we've got other European competitions, though. Two others, do. in fact. Do we quickly want to just spout off what we think is going to happen in those? Yeah, so Europa League semifinals are set. Uh, West Ham take on Eintracht Frankfurt and then RB Leipzig against Rangers. So it is the UK v. Germany. Um, so similar, <laughs> to the, similar to the Champions League, we have the, the potential for like a... And, I say, you know, knowing full well that Rangers play in Scotland, um, but we same country, uh, ostensibly. Um, mm-hmm. So between West Ham and Eintracht, um, which is, I think Eintracht obviously pull off a a huge upset of Barcelona to get here, um, but. Who do you think has the edge in in that, and who do you see going through to the final? I yeah, I love this tie because there's so much potential for just like a completely explosive tie. I mean, these are two teams that have really passionate, loud fan bases that travel well. I mean, we saw Eintracht Frankfurt fans absolutely embarrass Barcelona and bring like thirty thousand people on the road to Kepno. Uh, West Ham, I mean, we know what they get up to in Europe. <laughs> I mean, they're really enjoying this ride. But at the end of the day, I do think that I'm going to have to pick Eintracht to go through. I think that they were absolutely incredible against Barcelona. The pace at which they played was just unreal. Philip Kostic is is a man possessed. I mean, he is probably going to be done at the end of the season. But for now, he's putting Frankfurt on his back. And I think everyone's just playing for, for each other in that Frankfurt side. West Ham too. I mean, they've been excellent, but they are just decimated by injuries right now to an already pretty light squad. They've got like one center back right now uh, in, in Craig Dawson, I think, and, and everyone else is injured. So I think for West Ham, this is just a, a bit too far for them um, in terms of just how the, the injuries and scheduling have worked out. They still have, some Premier League games to, to contend with. I don't know that they're necessarily like playing for anything in the Premier League, but still, I mean, that, that travel and stuff is, is not great. Um, so, yeah, I do think Frankfurt will go through. And this, then, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I th- yeah, Frankfurt. Frankfurt to go through. Yeah. 
Curiously, couple couple of random stats. West Ham and Eintracht Frankfurt have actually met in European competition before, um, and West Ham eliminated uh, Eintracht in the Cup Winners' Cup, nineteen seventy five seventy six. Um, oh shit! Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, but to support your pick of Eintracht, uh, they are the fourth side in. Europa League history to reach the semifinals still unbeaten. Um, and two of the previous three went on to lift the trophy. That was Villarreal in, in 21 and Chelsea in 19. So they are, they are unbeaten uh, so far in the competition and are the first team ever in the Europa League uh, who have, con- they've conceded in eight straight games, but are unbeaten in all of those. They have not kept a clean sheet um, in their last eight, and they've only kept one clean sheet in their last 18 Europa League matches. Wow. But, yeah, still unbeaten in the competition, so it'll be up to West Ham to to end their record. Um, I'm also backing Eintracht. I think the energy of that of that win over Barca just, like, catapults them. Um, mm. and, and they are playing really well um, at the moment. I think it... The, they're in, in the competition at least in the well yeah they're not more the league it's been yikes. hit or miss but yeah yeah um, for sure so rb leipzig rangers is the other sem- semi-final so um between between these two who are you who are you back in to make it yeah i think i'm gonna go with rb leipzig um i mean they've convinced me D- domenico tedesco has convinced me after what was really a a doomed spell at Schalke. I think he's really re- resurrected his his career and his reputation. To be fair, um, with what he's been able to do with this Leipzig side, Christopher Nkunku is absolutely ridiculous. Just like <laughs> unreal amounts of goals scored this season, and and Leipzig are you know just blowing folks away really um, with with a lot of clean sheets as well. To be fair, so they're a balanced side in that way. Um, Rangers second in the league if I'm not mistaken it seems like Celtic are about yeah six points clear although I'm not gonna lie and say I understand the whole like second phase of the premiership and like (laughs) how they reseed everything yeah um but with that being said I think it it looks like it is Celtic's league to win and maybe Rangers are gonna put everything into this this tie um and it could end up going either way but I just think RB Leipzig have a little bit more quality and so uh I will go with the the Red Bull team this is uh, this is their very first meeting in Europe, and the last time that the first meeting um, between two sides in a European competition came at the semifinal stage or later uh, was in 1920 when RB Leipzig met PSG in the Champions League. Uh, wow! Champions League semifinal. So yeah, when when they were both just agricultural teams yeah (laughs) (laughs) um and uh the the interesting the interesting thing here for rangers is that they've only won two of their last 24 matches in europe away to german opposition drawn nine lost 13 um although one of those wins came at their last such attempt defeating borussia dortmund in the playoffs in february so True. That was a very impressive spell from them. That's, yeah, that's true. 
So it'll be interesting to see what Gio Van Bronckhorst and company um, are able to produce against against Leipzig. Um, the first leg being in Germany, I feel like that is advantage advantage RB because I I mm-hmm. I think having the chance to take a what would be a very raucous uh, crowd in Scotland out kind of out of the tie before they even get to it. Um, that's, that's sort of got to be the goal. Um, so I think RB just, if they, if they're able to take advantage of having that first leg at home, um, then I think, I think we see them in the final and I am personally pulling no offense to any West Ham or Rangers fans listening, but I am personally pulling for an all German Europa league final simply because like one a lot of these clubs i i'll be happy especially if eintracht are able to to pull it off that would be pretty amazing um but also because everybody won't stop talking about the bundesliga tax and i want to make (laughs) a bunch of jokes about is this the bundesliga tax like them winning the europa league so anyways yeah well and german sides notoriously like have not been doing well in Europe so yeah it's nice that they have gotten this far and that hopefully they will continue to do so but the only thing I'll say for RB Leipzig is that they might be a little distracted by trying to secure Champions League place in the Bundesliga because Freiburg are hot on their heels yeah um, which is a crazy sentence (laughs) (laughs) but uh yeah Freiburg doing doing the business I think they're in the cup final are they not they are yeah, Freiburg oh. into the cup yeah. final and against Leipzig. <laughs> yeah. So they could end up, you know, really screwing them here <laughs> in, in a couple ways. We'll see. You have been you have been hoed. <laughs> <laughs> I uh like yeah. nice man in German football. <laughs> yeah. No, it is it is a really cool opportunity for Freiburg for sure. And the um Although there is maybe a cool, maybe the coolest outcome is Freiburg win win the cup because it would just be so crazy to see that yeah. um, they qualify for the they they pip RB to the to the Champions League spot, but then RB wins the champ wins the Europa League and goes to the Champions League anyways. Bruh. <laughs> manifest it <laughs> although i'm still rooting for eintracht and i don't know that i could yeah. actually pull for rb in any in any i mean <laughs> energy drink fc like i can't do it so i got you i got you um well we also have the europa conference league not to be forgotten and i mean now that we're down to the semifinals, these matchups are actually pretty awesome <laughs> yeah i mean it's you know, if you've been paying attention to Conference League the entire time, bless you, because I have not. No. But now that it's been whittled down a little bit, like, these are some partidazos. Like, so, <laughs> Feyenoord, Marseille, that's, I mean, these are two huge clubs from their respective leagues. Marseille, obviously, with European pedigree, only French team to ever win the Champions League. Um, Feyenoord, you know, one of the big three in Netherlands. Um, but I do have Marseille going through. Uh, I I just believe in Jorge Sampaoli and what he's been able to do with this kind of 
not random, but just like a this assortment of, of players, good players, but maybe players that needed a lot of coaching and a steady hand. Um, you know, I look to the likes of William Saliba, who's had kind of a, a weird time ever since he signed for Arsenal. He's been able to sh- harness more or less the shithousery of Matteo Ganduzzi. He's continued to get the best out of Dimitri Payet. And um, yeah, I just really rate this Marseille side to, to go through against Feyenoord, who are, you know, third uh in in the edit visa right now so um yeah i think that's marseille for me in that one yeah i think i think it, this one's going to come down to the just the health of the squad at, at a certain point too i think feyenoord are, are missing a lot of key pieces um through injury and uh a lot of goals a lot of production that they i don't know that they'll be able to make up meanwhile arcadius Milik has been pretty prolific for for Marseille I think quietly I mean he's got 20 goals in 33 this season so he's he's been really producing well and then as you said I mean Dimitri Payet like there's not I don't know that there's a player that is more underrated that you'd rather have in a big spot in a big game like Payet just always seems to pop up with the blockbuster Mm -hmm. moment um and uh yeah he he's box office he he absolutely is and i'm sorry to cut you off no you're good in marseille's last 11 games in all comps 10 wins one loss and that loss was to psg yeah like just jokes like what they're they're elite they're like performing at an elite level here and so And I would love to see Marseille in a final because the, the the velodrome, like when it gets going, even for like a league match, it's absolutely lit. So, um, yeah, it's uh, that that's a really exciting thing right there for Marseille. Yeah, I, and I think uh, I think we do see them through. I'm really interested to watch this Marseille team in the the next season under San Paoli, mm. like having another full off season. It'll be interesting to see how they. Champions League, where they belong. Yeah, I think yeah. sleeping giant. I think one of the sleeping giants on the continent. So yeah, and with PSG yeah. in the mess that they're in, who knows? Anything is possible. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> see. Um, the other the the other semifinal. Uh, and for anyone who's followed the Conference League up until this point, this may seem this may seem uh unlikely, but it is Leicester City against. Uh, Bodo Glimpse, uh, arch rivals, AS Roma. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we've got Brendan Rogers versus Jose Mourinho. Could you ask, I mean, <laughs> is the UEFA Europa Conference League worth it simply for this? For, for Roma? <laughs> yeah. Just for, for sure. Mourinho and Mourinho. Br- Mourinho, Brendan Rogers matchup in a semifinal of a European competition. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, is it fair to say Rodgers is kind of Mourinho's protege at Chelsea? I mean, you know, yeah, this is another like big, big tie and it's in the third tier competition. So, I mean, there you go. Um, Roma, I feel like they are playing themselves into a respectable bit of form. I mean, obviously the, the lost enter notwithstanding, but before that... I mean, pretty decent. Beat Atalanta, um, did okay against Vitesse, ultimately 
finally thumped Bodo Glimt in, in the last, yeah. <laughs> in the, the reverse fixture of that tie, exercised those Bodo Glimt demons, if you will. Um, you know, beat Lazio in the Derby last month. Like, they're, they're, they're in a good moment, I think, overall. Um, and Leicester, I just don't trust them. Like, I don't yeah. trust them. I don't trust Brendan Rodgers. I think this is uncharted territory for them, and I think they're really just trying to I mean, there's nothing really to play for in the Premier League, so it might be a case where they try to throw everything at this tie, and and by all means, but um, I I don't know, I don't know. Uh, it's it's I don't know. It's just going to be interesting, and they do they do have a couple of injuries here and there as well to you know like Sumare, Indidi, um, and and things like that. So I, I kind of want to say I'm going with Roma here, but I mean Roma are also. And and I I think I trust Mourinho more in a situation like this. Yeah. Um. But Roma are also privy to to shooting themselves in the foot. So who knows? But this is another really intriguing tie. Yeah. I. I mean, I would say. Like. I would say you're spot on in that. Lester have been pretty. Poor in the league. Um, and that is, you know, I'm thinking like, Oh, you know, maybe they're, maybe they're rotating. Maybe they're, but no, they're, they're playing like their full strength sides. Um, and they've in their last three lost to Newcastle, drew Everton and drew Aston Villa. Um, so yeah, I, I think Roma, Roma are the form team. I think, I think Mourinho gets it over the line and gets, uh, Gets into a European final, although I will silent if he does make it to the Conference League final, I will be chuckling to myself because I think he once famously does he not have a famous quote about he never like what's the point of winning the Europa League and then he won the Europa League with Manchester United and now like <laughs> take yeah, one step down from that. <laughs> he's above it all. Yeah. And he can win uh win the conference league. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, I think Marseille, Roma, Sampaoli, Mourinho would be a suitable capstone to whatever the hell this was with the Europa Conference League <laughs> kicking off their inaugural season. Um, so, well, I think that about brings us to the end of the football. Um, and for those, for those who have been listening to the show for a while, um, you'll know that, me and Mika are also, I mean, part of why it's called hardcore football is we really like music. And, uh, so we've made some playlists, um, the last, the last two seasons. So sounds of the sea sounds of the season on Spotify, um, season two, uh, is available and we're, we always add a couple of songs to the playlist each episode. So Mika, I mean, how how were you feeling for for these uh additions to the playlist? Yeah, I mean my my first song I had to dedicate to to Mucho Betis, um Viva El Betis Manque Pierda. Uh winning a trophy it doesn't happen too often for Betis, so I had to to pick a song that was in Spanish cuz it just feels like that that fits. So I've gone with Mi Amor by Census Fail. Um it's a song that is screamed in Spanish. <laughs> so um it's it's pretty interesting uh so i'm adding that one just dedicating that to the the very blancos and then another one that's i guess kind of a deep cut um 
I mean, anyone remember a little band called Paramore? Um, <laughs> this song is called Pressure, and it's probably one of their, like, maybe their first single ever. So maybe not a deep cut, but, like, definitely an old one. Yep. Um, and, I mean, that's that's the name of the game right now. Uh, we're in we're heading into May, and it's just pressure all over the place yeah. um, for, for teams trying to get into Europe, teams trying to avoid the drop. Teams trying to get promoted. I mean, we didn't we didn't even get to go into like you know the the two Bundesliga and how that's going and, and <laughs> Fulham coming up. Like it's just absolutely mad. So everyone's under pressure right now to perform. Next episode, we'll we'll have to do a roundup of the teams uh, coming <laughs> up or the promotion the promotion races. Yeah, absolutely. What do you got for us? I so the first one I said in my tweet pre previewing this episode that i would talk about them and i'm going to so this band called gray haven put out a a new album uh last friday um and one of the songs off of it is called and it's still too loud um and this goes along with your pressure thing just because obviously atmospheres throughout (laughs) throughout europe are going to be dialed all the way up Um, and it is going to be, it is going to be, uh, interesting. Some of these, some of these atmospheres, um, that teams find themselves in, in these pressure filled matches, um, towards the business end of the season. And, and I would, I would just encourage anyone who is even mildly interested in like hardcore, post hardcore, whatever, whatever type of rock music, um, to listen to Greyhaven because it is not like it's one of those albums that kind of goes up and down like it has a nice like flow to it i feel where um it's not all like insane heavy or chaotic or whatever like it's very well sort of uh yeah it it's it's a journey and it it's got its, it's soft songs queue. it's it's got its melodic songs so yeah it's a cool uh cool little record that they put out um and then the other one, this is a shout out to all of my, um, you know, me as a Liverpool fan. This is a shout out to the Evertonians uh, out there. Oh, no. Who were upset about maybe refereeing decisions at the weekend. Uh, this is, I, I've added this song by The Plot in You called Rigged. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, um, oh my goodness. So, yeah, um, I did, uh, you know, just wanna, just wanna throw that, throw that little, um, yeah, Easter egg out to the Evertonians. Um, I will say, uh, for anyone curious, the stats are out there, but, uh, but Everton have actually earned, like, more penalties in the premier league than basically any other team um really over the last like several seasons um Holy and uh, I, I would have thought it was manchester united so it has to do a lot with now there's articles out there and i won't go into all the stuff but bottom line is if you have englishmen dribbling into the box you are more likely to get penalties so like um that is and i know that sounds insane but the data is out there and Mm -hmm. yeah dominic calvert lewin was the most um 
like fouled player in the box for like four seasons in a row. Um, wow. Which seems nuts because Everton don't have that much of the ball and don't have it in the box all that often, but interesting. Yeah. So anyways, I digress. Know. And that is, I, I, I'm merely, merely poking fun. Obviously everyone, I, uh, like I said, Everton, do your job and don't go down so that Burnley can get relegated like we all deserve. Um, and uh, and that about, I think that about does it. Um, and uh, well, for anyone, um, as we said at the top of the episode, you can find us on any major podcast platform. Uh, you can find us on uh, Twitter and on Instagram at HXC Football check us out follow subscribe whatever the platform allows and uh yeah we'll catch you guys next time see ya